Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a Chief Evangelist? That's what we're exploring at ChiefEvangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the principal agile product evangelist at the leading visual collaboration platform, Miro. Over the past two decades, he served as a project manager, scrum master, and agile coach in organizations like Experian, GitHub, Visa, and Expedia Group. He's since made the shift from practitioner to advocate in a new evangelist role inside a growing evangelist team. Dave Ross, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Thank you, Ethan. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, happy to have this conversation. It's really interesting what you're up to um, at Miro in general. And of course, I want to learn more about your role, your transition into it, and kind of what you learned in that shift. We've had several people who were practitioners of, let's just generally call it an area of expertise, who have shifted into evangelizing it by connecting with teaching, coaching. You're leveraging some of the same skills, but there's some new skills as well. Uh, so we'll get into all that. And where we're going to start, Dave, is where we always do on this show, which is the most important job of an evangelist. When I throw that out, what comes to mind for you? The most important job for an evangelist, I think, is to um, to be engaging and have good conversations with customers. I think that's really the core of, uh, certainly the core of my role um, at Miro, being able to um, talk to, engage with, relate to, um, and, um, and, and, and talk with customers about how they use our product, how they're not using our products, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's a, it's a two-way conversation, obviously, and it's, um, uh, it's an opportunity for them to learn about us, but also for me to learn about them and see how we can serve them better. And what do, what do you think about your own you know, willingness, ability, excitement, passion to have good, high-quality conversations? Like, where does that come from for you? Is it just something you've always been doing? Uh, is it something that you're conscious of today, or is it just something that you do? Um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a skill that I've had to work on. Um, I wouldn't say that it's kind of an innate um, thing that I've, I've always sought out. Um, you know, I'm, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm a bit of an introvert, actually. I'm uh, on the Myers-Briggs. I'm an INTJ. So um, for those of you out there who know what that is, um, the I stands for introvert. But um, introvert doesn't mean that you don't like people. Um, it just means that you get your energy in different ways. Some people are energized by conversations. Um, other people, it's an energy drainer to um, to engage in you know in social settings and and have conversations with people that way. Um, so it, it's something I I kind of have to psych myself up for. But at the same time, I've I've been doing um, you know when I was an agile coach and everything. That's a huge part of your job is to talk to people understand uh, what's going on with them, relate to what they're doing, understand their work, all of that. So that was really the best training ground for me to kind of break out of that mold and just ask 
you know, some powerful questions and ask, you know, agile coaches out there will know what that is, but just asking big open-ended questions um, about where people are at and, and just trying to, to understand that. Um, I do find people fascinating. And so um, I think that's kind of what drives me forward, wanting to understand what make, what, what motivates people and what, what makes people tick and also understand um, how I can help solve their problems as well, because that's another aspect of being that, that agile coach is helping people solve their problems. Yeah, I absolutely, the way you're talking that out, I absolutely see the intersection of coaching and the work I've done in engaging prospects and customers as an evangelist. Um, it has a lot of that element to it. I mean, in coaching, I assume I've never been a proper coach per se, and I've certainly never held the title as you have. Uh, but for me, you know, one of the things I go to all of the time is this kind of staged sequence of discovery, diagnosis, and prescription. Yeah. Um, and of course, prescription is generally prescribing someone to, you know, fig like close the gap on their own, like they need to do it for themselves. You're not just giving the handing them a solution per se. Right. But that process of conversation through those stages, and sometimes you dwell in one longer than the other, and it's really about, in, in my experience, and I'll give it back to you for your own, um, you know, getting some form of um, affirmation or kind of like the, that light bulb moment, you could often see it in someone's face or hear it in their voice or hear it in the way they're giving it back to you, that they understand and that we're like kind of on the same page that yes, um, we've discovered a few key areas here. And now we're going to move into like diagnosing what are the root causes and some of these other things. So like, that's the way that I think about what you're sharing. Uh, does that resonate with you? That absolutely resonates with me, especially um, when you talk about like, you're not prescribing a solution to people, right? Um, you're trying to help, uh, first of all, understand, like you said, diagnose, understand, gain your perspective on on what they're saying. Um, but then kind of serve it back to them um, and, and, and uh, in, in maybe a slightly different way or in a slightly different perspective and see if that triggers any revelations on their part. Um, and like you said, that light bulb moment that, come, that comes along where people all of a sudden go, well, hey, I hadn't thought about it that way. But now since you said it, um, that makes a lot of sense. And so um, th there's a lot of that. It's... Um, <laughs> my comparison is always, it's a little like therapy. If you think about it, um, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to help people get to a place on their own, but you're walking beside them on that journey. And, um, you know, as much as you sometimes have to suppress that urge to say, oh, but you should do this or, oh, but you should do that. Um, you have to hold back on that a little bit and you have to make sure that they're, you're not just handing them an answer. Um, because that answer may be meaningless to them. You want them to get to their answer. Um, that will mean something to them on their own. Love it. Um, so I want to learn specifically, and I'll, we'll kind of walk our way into it through a series of kind of conversation zones, I think. But where I want to land is how are you getting in conversation with these customers? Like, what is the process? You know, is sure. it a formal thing? Is it informal? Is it ad hoc? Is it fill out this form to request Dave to connect with your customer account? But I want to start kind of in a lot uh, in a more logical approach. How did you find Miro, or how did they find you specific to this evangelist role? Yeah, so um, evangelist roles, I, I think, aren't kind of well known or well understood. Um, True. So the um, so I've, of course I've never been in the role before. Like you said, I was a practitioner before I came here. 
But the way that I came to Miro was, uh, was actually a friend of mine who I, I know, uh, I've known in the agile space for quite some time, for about 10 plus years. Um, and he had worked with Miro extensively and uh, supported them with some of their um, sort of agile questions and agile initiatives and things like that. So when the position became available, he posted on LinkedIn and said, you know, any of my agile friends that are local to the Austin area, because that's where the position's based, um, you should really take a look at this. Great company, great role, great people. And so I looked at that and I'm like an evangelist. Wow, what, it's, what, what does that even mean? Um, so I, I, I clicked through, I read the description and, and it kind of checked a lot of boxes for me when I read the job description. It, you know, it's, it's um, you know, you have to have subject matter expertise, particularly for this role, because mine's sort of like a, um, a vertical um, evangelist role, like it's specific to uh, business agility. So obviously I knew, I knew a lot about that. Um, it ha also had the intersection of understanding developer tools. You know, I've, I've been a user of Miro. I knew Miro. I liked Miro. Um, uh, it's very easy for me to get excited about talking about Miro. Um, and then just also um, sort of having these customer conversations, because that was the other part of the job description that I found, I think, really appealing was you're talking to people and trying to help solve their problems um, um, kind of in a collaborative way. And so with those three things from the job description, I thought, I'll, I'll go for it. I'll go, I'll go see, we'll see what sticks. So, um, you know, had the, threw in an application and, and had a conversation, lengthy conversations, you know, the, the interview process was fairly lengthy, um, and, uh, had a case study involved, um, as well. And obviously they liked me because here I am. Um, and it has been everything that I thought it was, even though it was, it's very much a departure from what I was doing before. I have been really enjoying uh, sort of the ride so far in defining and crafting and uh, settling into this evangelist role. Really good. Um, maybe go one step deeper right where you left off there in a, in a, in a more specific way. Um, what are a couple of the expected or unexpected positive consequences? Like when you, when you think about how favorable the experience has been to date, in a new role for you and, and presumably a new role at Mira. I know there are multiple evangelists and we'll kind of get into that a little bit as well. Um, but you know, what is, what is maybe one or two things that you're really engaged with or enjoying that you expected and, or that you didn't expect? Um, so one of my, so I, let me start off with a fear. I feared coming into this role that I would be going into some incredibly complex um, scenarios and discussions with customers where I would be way in over my head. Um, and so that was very definitely a fear. Um, that fear very quickly dissipated, um, probably after the first two or three conversations that I had with customers. Um, cause I, I just jumped in feet first. Um, you know, it's not like I had a polished presentation or, or anything that, that I went into these conversations with. I just, kind of went into it and, and said, let's talk about, you know, your agile journey. Let's talk about your use of Miro. Let's talk about, you know, some of your pain points. What can you tell me about all those things? Um, and they were very natural and very organic conversations. And um, I found that I actually had some answers. Um, and I found that, um, that I actually was able to, to share some perspective with them, um, sort of based on my own experience and background and my own usage of Miro. 
um, and then also learned a ton. So it was it was it was a really great two way conversation, and it really um, kind of I remember coming out of one of my first conversations with a customer and saying, "Man, that was like a total life affirming. I I made the right move. I got into this role, and um, I I can actually make a go of it. I'm I'm really enjoying it." That's fantastic. I I what I hear a little bit in there is like a little bit of kind of imposter syndrome, and it's not necessarily associated with the evangelist role, but like, who am I to walk into this room with these people and think that I have a ton of value to offer? And we so often have so much more value than we ever give ourselves credit for. It's just like um, below the radar. And frankly, I've found over the years that the situation brings out some strengths and perspectives, sometimes through inquiry itself, not necessarily through having a you know, an answer or push, you know, it's the ability to move the conversation in a particular direction that then is revelatory in and of itself as a collect to your, to use a word you've used a couple of times in this call, um, uh, collaborative, you know, uh, process. So I really appreciate that. Um, you and Miro are relatively unique. I think I've only had, this is going to be something like episode 36, 37, 38, somewhere in that zone. Right. And I think you were only the second person to respond to a job description posted by a company seeking an evangelist. And, and you're also not the only evangelist uh, at Miro. So share a little bit about um, some of your peers um, in the organization and how you work with them. Do you, and if so, how? Yeah. So um, we have uh, currently, we actually have four total evangelists, myself included. Um, one of them is quite new. We just actually hired one in Australia um, to look after our APAC region. Um, but as I mentioned before, we're all kind of, we have sort of a, a vertical responsibility. Mine is business agility. Um, I also work with uh, Shipra. Shipra is, um, uh, she's based in San Francisco and she is the evangelist more for design and product development. Um, she's been in the design space extensively and, um, you know, that's, her, that's her passion. She actually is, um, incredibly talented, of course, and she was doing my job and her job before I joined. So she kind of, um, bridged the gap between design product development and business agility. Um, but she's very happy to hand business agility off to me now, um, so that we can both focus on, on our areas that we're respectively, um, passionate about. And then um, the last one is Brahm. Brahm is based in Amsterdam, and he looks after what we call the PSP vertical, which is the professional service providers. So if you think about the big um, consultancies, Deloitte, Accenture, um, and he comes from that background. Uh, I think he worked at one of them at, at, uh, for most of his uh, career. And now he's very easily able to relate to them and talk to them in, in sort of their language about because um, it is slightly a slightly different use case of uh, of Miro, so um, he he's great and has uh, wonderful relationships within that industry and within that vertical. So that's kind of the collection of uh, of evangelists that we have currently at Miro. Um, but I honestly don't think that we're going to stop there. Um, there's, I think, a, a great appreciation and understanding within Miro for the evangelist role. Um, you know, we're very much in demand internally um, and externally with our customers to talk to talk to them. Um, and um, and so I, I definitely see as we continue to grow that there will be more um, evangelist opportunities. 
In fact, we have a chief evangelist role that's still open. So any of your viewers, Ethan, that are listening to this today, um, if you're interested, please reach out and get in touch because we would love to talk to you. Super. And that, uh, that was, by the way, for folks listening, uh, that is how Dave and I connected in the first place. Uh, when they put up that chief evangelist position, uh, we connected over it. Uh, I shared it on, the, by the way, the LinkedIn page. There are a number of ways to engage with the show. We're on YouTube. We're, in, of course, in all the podcast players. We also have a LinkedIn page. Um, so anyway, I shared that job posting there, and maybe I will again here uh, as, you, as the search continues. Uh, and, I, and I really appreciate the vision. So you're housed in marketing. Uh, from my understanding, your marketing leaders uh, were familiar with the evangelist function in general, and yeah. so they're realizing a vision that they already had. Um, I'm just closing the gap there for folks who've heard a number of these episodes because very often um, it's the practitioner themselves who is kind of trying to define a role inside their organization. Uh, sometimes it is a leader in the organization saying, gosh, maybe we should try to form this role. This is like, I, I feel like what you all are doing is like the advanced stage uh, evangelism to the degree that you can, because I'm asking you to go a little, a little bit outside uh, your own direct purview. Um, what do you think it is about the evangelist function? You just said that you're in demand. Uh, you're, I shared something that I learned by talking with you, that you're housed in marketing. You've mentioned that you're working a lot with customers. Um are you also working with prospects? And I guess kind of let's let's just go to where I was 10, 15 minutes ago, which is um, how are you engaging with these customers? Are they also prospects? Is this, um, you know, when you are, how does the demand for your services and your engagement, uh, how is that like for just from a practical standpoint inside the organization, how can people engage you? How do they even know that you're available to them to be of service and value? Um, I know I asked several layered questions in there, but yeah. Um, go with that however you like. Yeah, sure. So um, there's many different channels through which we uh, we either get requests uh, for for us to to help out. So I'll start with the most, um, uh, I guess, the biggest channel. We work very closely with our uh, our sales team. So you're talking um, either strategic account executives. Um, who are dealing with some of our, our largest enterprise level customers. Um, and they may be wanting to go through the process of talking to the customer because of a license renewal, or um, they want to drive further adoption or usage, um, or something has come up in the account where they've, and, you know, in, in, in my case, where they're trying to expand the use of Miro into supporting their agile ways of working. And so at that point, they'll, they'll reach out to me. How they know about me is I actually had, to, um, no, I didn't have to, but I did a bit of a roadshow internally within the organization uh, to introduce myself. Um, you know, so I met with our uh, strategic sales leaders and, um, you know, gave a, a quick 15 minute overview, you know, here, here's who I am, here's what I do, here's uh, my experience and here's the value I can bring to your account. Um, and this is how you can reach out to me. They'll just, I get pinged on, uh, on Slack all the time, uh, from, from these kinds of, uh, of internal requests. So that's probably the most common way. Um, I can also get a lot of outreach from, um, you know, internally. So we have customer, uh, success managers. Um, they'll also, you know, they'll, they'll deal with a customer and there's like a very specific use case that they're trying to solve for them. Um, and I, I come in and talk to them specifically about, you know, 
things like big room planning or PI planning and how you can approach that using Miro. Um, and, uh, so that's, that's just another avenue that I'm, that, that I'm able to reach out and talk to customers. Um, we're also have here at Miro, we have, um, a very talented team that runs the Miro, what we call the Miro discovery center. Um, it's other people might know it by names, like an executive briefing center. Um, so what happens at the Miro discovery center is that we will bring in um, you know, a small group, usually of leadership uh, within a company. And it could be, this could be an opportunity at the top of the funnel or in the middle of the funnel or at the bottom of the funnel. It doesn't really matter. Um, but it's, it's really like a deep, deep dive into what Miro can do and a deep, deep dive into what, um, what their problem space is and what they're trying to solve for, for their company. Um, and it's, it's, it's a full day or a, or two day event where they're actually in the Miro offices. Um, and we bring in a series of speakers and I'm one of those speakers. Um, I can go into the Miro discovery center and, um, you know, spend an hour. And again, it's, it's fairly unscripted. Again, it's not, it's not death by Miro slide or anything like that. It's, it's a collaborative conversation where we're sitting down and talking about, you know, tell me a little bit about your agile journey. Tell me a little bit about where you're at from an agile maturity perspective. Um, what are some of your pain points that you're encountering? Um, what are some of the challenges that you're trying to solve for? Um, and, and just have the, those open, open conversations, round, round table discussions. Um, so that's really a, another, another area, another sort of channel, if you will, that we have to uh, reach out and, and talk to customers. The last one for, for, for me in particular is there's a, a series of conferences as well that are very important in the Agile space. Um, you know, you can think of things like, um, you know, Agile 2023, you can think of uh, Safe Summit um, and a few others. So we will have key presences um, um, at some of these events uh, where we'll set up a space for customers to come and, and, and talk to me and talk to other people at Miro. Um, and you know, it's, it's a little bit more of a, and, and I can set up, you know, meetings ahead of time as well, um, with existing customers that we know are going to be there. Um, so there's, there's many different avenues that we can do. Um, but I'm also going to switch gears on you a little bit, Ethan, and let you know that um, I spend a lot of my time as well. Like certainly the, the customer conversations is the bulk of my time. But there's a lot of internal conversations that I have at Miro. Um, I'm educating people internally at Miro on what the value is, is that we're bringing to our customers for uh, in the, uh, particularly in the agile space. Because um, you can imagine like internally at Miro, not everybody has worked on an agile team before. Not everybody understands some of, some of the, um, you know, the collaborative work that happens at for EPD teams at some of our major enterprise customers. Um, I've worked with EPD teams, um, you know, pretty much my whole career. And so I know that perspective and I can, I can be an internal advocate for agile EPD teams within Miro. And I'll go talk to, um, you know, through our enablement team, talk to all kinds of different organizations internally, could be sales, could be marketing, could be customer experience, could be, you know, you name it. Um, and there is a huge appetite internally to learn about that. Um, so, you know, it's, I, I always sort of see, I, I have two directions that I have to face externally and internally. 
um, and and be an advocate for both groups, which is it was kind of unexpected. Actually, I didn't expect I'd have to be doing so much internal ad advocacy as I have ended up doing. But it's very welcome and very very uh, rewarding, actually. Yeah, really good. A uh, few just really quick questions. What would you guess your ratio right now is external to internal? Is it 50-50? Is it 60-40 internal-external? Is it 40-60 internal-external? Like, if you had to guess, ballpark. Um, if I had to guess, it's like 75-25. 75 being external, 25% being internal. Cool. Yeah. Um, EPD. Yep. What does that stand for? Oh, so, yeah, sorry. EPD is engineering product and design. So that's um, in a lot yep. of uh, tech organizations in particular, you'll have um, an organization with, and they may not call it this, but it's basically the the three pillars of your engineering and your product teams along with design. Um, and a lot of times they're all sort of managed concurrently, but, it, but an agile team will typically have representation from engineering, from product and from design. So when you work in an, on an EPD team, that's what that means. Yeah, super. I was familiar with it much more generically as product and dev, you know, with design typically being tucked into the product org. Um, so that's good. Thank you for that. Um, sure. And for folks who aren't particularly familiar with Agile, now we've had, uh, you know, other folks approximately in your space on this show. It's obviously an emergent space. I have a feeling that the, pandemic and the dispersion of people uh, to separate places where let's just say a whiteboard. And I know you're not limited to a whiteboard, but you know, where the, where the physical whiteboard in the room was a great place to do collaboration. We need to do that digitally. Now it's like a very emergent, I'm sure very fast growing space. Um, but talk a little bit specifically about the intersection of agile relative to Miro and Miro product usage. What I've heard in oh, maybe over the past few minutes is there are a number of specific use cases yep. for Miro yep. immediately adjacent to or to fulfill kind of an agile approach to work. So give a little bit of like very yeah, basic yeah. definition to agile and sure. then kind of close the loop a little bit. Like why is, um, why is this a, a, a vertical that uh, Miro wants to have an evangelist in, I guess. Sure. So um, for those aren't, who aren't overly familiar with Agile, so Agile is <laughs> very hard to define, first of all, um, but uh, the various definitions that you'll hear out there is that um, Agile is a mindset, Agile is a way of working, um, Agile is a um, sort of a collection of frameworks that you can use to organize how you deliver value to your customers. Um, there's something called the Agile Manifesto, came out 20, 25 plus years ago. Um, it's got some great values and principles that kind of serve as the foundation. Um, and it and, and really sort of, um, you know, it's, uh, it spins around uh, things like self-organization. We're going to rely on people to, um, you know, to deliver their best work by allowing them to self-organize. Um, you know, we're going to value people over tools and processes, those kinds of things. Um, it's kind of a departure from um, what they call Taylorism. Taylorism being, of course, the sort of the top-down hierarchical um, approach to business um, and or scientific management, if you will, um, that's been around for a hundred plus years. Um, but this is something that kind of grew out of the the software development or technology space and has really kind of spread out and is now practiced in, you know, you have agile marketing, you have agile HR, you have agile approaches to 
all kinds of different um, sort of functional areas. So it's expanded beyond just engineering and product and design um, these days. So, um, so as you said, Ethan, Miro, um, you know, kind of started out maybe as a, as a virtual whiteboard, but it's certainly much, much more than that today. Um, it, it, we, we like to view it sort of as a, um, a, an online collaborative space for uh, innovation. That's how we view it. Um, it's an infinite canvas where uh, people on teams or multiple teams can come together um, and uh, visually display their work and be able to talk through, solve problems, and innovate in that space. And there are definitely some use cases uh, sort of where we started out mostly was if you can think about doing a, something simple like a retrospective, um, you know, uh, thinking, uh, you know, something's happened or a team has completed a sprint or a team has completed, you know, some major deliverable and they want to look backwards and, and talk about, you know, what did we do well? Um, what could we have done better and what did we learn during that process? Well, you can use Miro to facilitate that. So the visual facilitation aspects of Miro are are very powerful, and we're sort of the sort of the early use cases um, in the agile world for for adoption. Um, retrospective, you can drive all kinds of meetings. You can drive like the daily standup or uh, that you have with your teams. You can even do um, you know road mappings, uh, user story journeys, um, or sorry, user user journey mapping. I should say. Um, you can do all of those kinds of, um, you know, team level collaborative events on an online workspace where, where everybody can join in. Became much, much more important, of course, during COVID. Um, and, you know, it allows for all kinds of great things like obviously distributed teams um, and async work. It enables that as well. Um, so those are really some of the, some of the, the, the starting use cases that, that, that we've supported. But we're now getting into some more value-added, um, uh, you know, use cases. So if you think about something like, I believe I mentioned it before, big room planning, sometimes called PI planning, uh, or team of teams planning, whatever your your um, you know, however you want to term it, that's what um, we're finding right now. Teams are having a need for. So you're talking about not just a team of you know nine, ten, eleven people, but you're talking about sixty or a hundred or 300 people all getting together in one space and displaying their work in a visual way and then being able to talk with their neighboring teams. Oh, we, you know, we have a dependency here on you. We have a dependency here on you. Let's explicitly call those out and make sure that we're sequencing our work appropriately so that we're not, um, you know, all trying to integrate at the last possible minute and, um, and don't deliver the value that we want to deliver at the end of the day. Um, so PI planning or big room planning, um, that's really one of the big emerging uh, use cases uh, for, certainly for Miro. Um, there's lots of other players in that space, um, but there, that, that's definitely one that we're uh, finding a lot of success and having a lot of great conversations with customers. In fact, I would probably say 50% of my customer conversations these days are around that kind of, that specific use case. Uh, for PI planning or for big room planning. There's others. You can go up the, 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 the value chain even further and talk about, you know, strategizing, uh, you know, creating OKRs and connecting um, your strategy to delivery and being able to do that and show that on a canvas. 
Um, you could go as far as budgeting and participatory budgeting, for example, all of those kinds of things. So there's there's a lot of work that we can still be doing to to move our customers and, and to support our customers um, into using Miro for those specific use cases. We're just starting to scratch the surface. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelist, let's get back to it. Awesome. When I hear big room, I, I immediately go to uh, speed and efficiency, um, especially the way that you described it there, like to, to look at mutual dependencies, figure out sequencing of things. Um, I, I assume there's probably in that process of discovery of duplication of work, not just who should be doing what in what order. Um, is, is the business case specifically around uh, speed and efficiency? Um. So yeah, speed and efficiency. Uh, you know what? You know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I immediately went to kind of a Tayloristic approach to that. Uh, it's so funny. Like maybe it's just a better way to work that that leaves people um, feeling more connected to everybody. It's both. It's probably both. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of things that you can gain. So first of all, if you think about it, big room planning used to be everybody was all physically in the same space. It was literally a big room and everybody was in the room together and there were whiteboards, physical whiteboards lining the walls and people would be able to talk and, um, you know, um, discuss sort of through the, the planning process and get a shared understanding of all the work that was being done. That's not the world we live in anymore, right? Uh, you could certainly recreate that if you wanted to fly people from Asia, Europe, uh, North America, and bring them all together. And there are, are customers who do that. They'll bring, you know, 15,000 people together uh, for a big, you know, either semester or quarterly planning event. Um, but think about the logistics of that and think about the cost of that. Um, and uh, and very quickly, you'll you'll realize that there's there's a lot of benefit to be had by instead organizing these events as virtual events or hybrid events. Um, you can have clusters of people in, you know, your office in India and your office in, you know, North America and your office in Nemea. They're clustered together, but they can still collaborate and they can still come together in a virtual in a virtual way and work asynchronously, um, which is a which is a huge benefit. So um, it's, you know, being able to 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 run this kind of event in a way that um, sort of adapts to how your company is structured and where your teams are located and how people are able to work and the time zones that they're able to work in. Um, I think that's, that's the huge, huge benefit. Um, you know, we async work in particular, I think is, is, you know, when I was at GitHub, that's 100% how we work. Um, and I see it more and more and more in, in a lot of the customers that I work with just cause, um, you know, that's, they have people around the world and people are not able to, you know, with 12 hour, um, you know, time zone differences, able to collaborate in real time. 
So, um, you know, Miro supports that. We have great, great ways to support async work. Um, you know, we recently released what's called TalkTrack, um, and that gives you the ability to, um, you know, to record audio and or video. Um, and it's embedded within the board and you can walk through the board and manipulate the board and talk people through the board. And uh, they'll, they'll, the audio and, and video will follow along with that. So let's say that you did some work with your team in India and you want to explain what you did and where you got to with your planning effort. You record a talk track and then the EMEA team will see that in their morning and they'll be able to play it back. And you don't have to have any physical overlap. You can actually talk. Uh, you can understand and get that information handoff without having to um, physically be in the same Zoom call or even in the same, you know, time zone. So it's, th there's a lot of really great things that can come from this. Um, it is, it, it's a bit of a cultural shift for a lot of people. And that's what we try to to talk them through and to get them to understand. Because anybody who has gone through big room planning or PI planning, the very first time you do it, it's, it, it it's very messy. It feels very chaotic. It feels very, um, you know, uh, th there's just a lot of friction because people are trying to learn the process and learn and understand, like, how do I get this information from this team or who do I talk to over here? And um, so it, and the more people you have, obviously the, the, the more, the more conversations that need to happen. And it just becomes more and more difficult to, to do that. But if you persevere and you go through that process more than once, everybody gets used to it and it actually becomes apparent that, hey, we can do this. We don't all have to physically be in the same space. There's there's ways and mechanisms and and tooling that we have now that will support our our um, our conversations around this big planning event. Love it. The the asynchronous piece, especially in you don't even have to be a fully global organization to enjoy those benefits. It's just enough to work from East Coast to West Coast of North America, frankly. Um, and I love this idea of talk tracks. I, I spent, uh, you know, a dozen years evangelizing um, asynchronous video messages, yep. uh, not necessarily like social media videos and that type of thing, but in place of what would otherwise be a Slack or a LinkedIn message or an email message or whatever. So this idea of having them embedded directly in the collaborative space is just fantastic. I love it. And for folks listening, I encourage everyone to, if you have an opportunity like that, whether it's in Miro or somewhere else, um, go ahead and turn your camera on, whether you're screen sharing and showing what you are talking about at that time, so they don't have to guess and try to follow along and, or better yet, um, your face along with, uh, with the board itself or the space itself. So that people can feel like they know you a little bit, uh, in many cases, to your point, you know, bringing a global team together is expensive. It's complicated and all of these other things. So a lot of us are working, you know, sometimes even daily with people we've never met and perhaps may never meet. So I uh, love where you all are going. I love that, um, you know, innovation is what you support, but it's also what you live as well. Um, kind of a, it's not really a fun question per se, but it's a little bit, uh, I'm stepping back a little bit. Sure. When you saw, like, what I want to get at is this, this concept of evangelism and specifically the name of it. When you saw you know, a, a friend or a colleague of yours point you to a position yep. called evangelist. Do you have any personal emotional reaction to it beyond the curiosity of like, what does this actually mean? And why was this shared with me? What did this other person see about this job description that fit the title itself? Like, and you could even take this to when you explained it to family or friends, like, oh, yeah. um, what do you think about the title 
capturing the spirit of what you do and what I do and what all the other folks we that are in this conversation are doing. And I know this, there's some diversity in exactly how it's expressed, but when you saw the title and now you're on the inside of it and perhaps you're explaining it to other people internally and externally, I'm sure part of your tour was teaching people internally, like what the heck is evangelism? Yeah. Um, talk about the title, talk about the function, like how do you describe it to people and what was your initial emotional reaction to the concept of it? So you know, the word itself, evangelism, obviously uh, has baggage, right? It comes with connotations, religious or otherwise, um, mostly religious for me. That's kind of how it hit me at first. And I'm thinking, well, so you're proselytizing the use of a product, maybe. You're going out and you're converting the, um, you know, the masses to to adopt your uh, particular religion. Um, that's kind of how it hit me um, uh, initially. Um, and of course that's garbage, right? Like that's not, that's not really what it is, but th that's kind of what the, the, the connotation of the word is for me um, when I first saw it. And then of course you dig into it a little bit deeper and, and, and then you can kind of wrap your head around it. So, but how I describe it to friends and family is I tell them what my title is. I say, oh, I'm the agile product evangelist. And then I get the weirdest look and they go and, and, and they pay you to do what exactly? And, um, and, and it's not a church and I'm, no, 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 it's not a church. It's not, it's nothing to do with that. It's a lot of, and, and kind of the way that I explain it is it's a lot of, um, I guess, consulting. It's a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, certainly with it at Miro, it's definitely within marketing. So I explain like there's a marketing dimension to what we're doing, um, but you're also consulting and you're also, um, you know, doing some coaching along the way. Um, there's a coaching aspect, certainly at least to my role anyway, um, coaching cu customers to, to get maybe a different understanding or a different perspective of what they thought of their problems at, and, and Miro in particular. Um, and then, you know, I've kind of explained it sort of in all those, so like I wear many hats, I'll wear the coaching, I'll wear the consulting, hat, I'll wear the marketing hat. And, um, but, but I really, it's just, it's talking to people and help, helping them understand uh, a little bit better kind of what it is that we do and, um, and understand what they're trying to, to solve using our, our particular product. And when I explain it that way, I think, you know, most friends and family that I've talked to kind of get it. Um, <laughs> it's because it's, it's the technology space too. Like they're, they're trying to understand what Miro is. And then I always kind of take it down to the most basic level and say, well, it's, it's kind of a virtual whiteboard, but it does way more than that. Um, and, and so I'm explaining a, a virtual whiteboard to people and all of the different capabilities and features that it has. Um, and and so it it's it's never a five minute conversation is what I find Ethan it's it's a I do this but it's kind of this and it's kind of this too and um and I think I can get them about halfway through to understanding what it is that I actually do after spending probably ten fifteen minutes explaining if they're curious other other times they'll just roll their eyes and they'll go like okay whatever thanks <laughs> not interested don't care. Yeah, totally. Do you, do you want more mashed potatoes? Yeah, that's um, exactly. <laughs> enough of this. Uh, yeah. yeah, I really like it. And I like where you're going there. I mean, it, it's interesting. Um, 
when I think about like, why is this a thing and why does it have, have this name? Um, I think it's in part because kind of, as you were, you were saying there, um, and I'll just say kind of the same thing a little bit differently. It's not a sales role, right? It's not even a sales engineering role. It's not like a, it's, it's not a sales enablement role, although you might do some sales enablement potentially, especially with regard to agile. It's not a pure marketing role. I mean, marketing is creating content and doing these other things, but you know, to the degree that, that an evangelist is creating content, it's, it's often distributed differently. It's got a different tone. It's sometimes a little bit editorial, right? Like, and by that, I don't just, I don't mean, you know, opinion piece per se, but it's got, um, it's got more personality, perspective, point of view, flavor in it than maybe the brand is willing to do or able to do, uh, purely on its own. It's very customer informed as well. I mean, your own stories and relationships and all these things that you're building internally and externally tend to surface in content in a way that a, I'm air quoting for listeners, a content marketer generally doesn't have the time for, frankly. I mean, they might do one or two customer interviews or something to inform a piece or to bring it to life. So it's not sales. It's not marketing, but it's got a little bit of both. It's not CSM, although you come alongside CSMs all the time. So it is this different thing. It also the EPD function. I know that I engaged uh, historically with the product product team more than developers because product is the interface, or at least in my experience in the organizations I've been in, product has been the interface to dev. And I've you know unless a developer or an engineer reaches out to me directly, I'm typically working with yeah. you know a designer or a product uh, manager of some type. Um, so it it. It touches all these things, but it is none of them. And yeah. it's kind of all of them. So I can see why yeah. it's a 15 minute conversation. Uh, yeah. Did anything I say there trigger anything for you? Yeah. Like, the, you know, it even goes beyond that even a little more for me. So there's also some thought leadership that you're participating in as well. Right. So there's definitely that. Like if I go to, to a conference and, um, you know, sign up to be a speaker or, I'm at the Miro Discovery Center and, um, you know, I'm presenting perhaps, um, you know, a, a short little, um, you know, talking about innovation in, 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 in the agile space and how you can use Miro to support that. Um, there's definitely a, a thought leadership dimension to, to, to the role that we do as well. And then um, I would even go another step and say that there's a lot of strategy as well that I'm trying to, 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 to craft. Um, internally within Miro and decide like, what, what do we go after in the agile space? What's important in the agile space? Um, you know, where should we be? What communities should we be talking to, um, within, cause like the agile world is very large and very diverse and, you know, our, should, ideally we could talk to all of them, but we can't, we have to prioritize and how do we prioritize those conversations and engagements with the different agile communities? So that there's very definitely a lot of strategizing elements as well. So, excuse me, there's all these different hats that you're wearing in this role. And um, that's what I love about it, actually, is all of that sort of, I'll be in a customer conversation one day, a strategy session the next, um, and then sign up to be a speaker somewhere else. And I'm doing very different things. Um, The agile nerd in me loves it because that's, that's kind of like what I love talking about. Um, and I, you know, a lot of people eyes will glaze over when, you know, you're, you're talking about business agility, but these are, these are venues and, and, and channels that 
there's a definite hunger for for what I'm saying and what and the questions that I'm asking. And so I, I find that very um, sort of energizing and engaging. And, um, you know, the, the nerd in me loves it all. Yeah, I, the, the layers that you added on there, uh, well, a couple of them anyway, you added several. Um, subject matter expertise, kind of generically speaking, this SME function, just to bring it into very common uh, parlance. And then the strategy, the element that you brought up, um, you, I assume, kind of as a thought leader, as an expert practitioner over decades, um, as someone who's engaging in all of these conversations inside and outside are the go-to person with some kind of a strategic question around this. Um, and of course, there may be channels and venues created for you to bring it forth. Um, kind of a little bit of a personal question. I mean, not, not personal revealing, but like yeah. I, for, for when, when I think about staying on the edge of things and being a subject matter expert, when I think about thought leadership, um, some of that is inherent in everything that you've done and, and kind of what you're doing in a very pure functional uh, evangelism right. format. Um, the conversations you're having, et cetera, kind of keep you on the edge at some level. But how much space or how much permission do you give yourself to do other study, other research? Like, how do you invest in staying on that edge yourself beyond kind of the core work that Miro's like, we want these kinds of things done and we want them done at about this rate. Um, you know, how do you, how do you personally keep on the edge and how much of that do you regard as like personal time versus professional time? Is it all so blurry and muddy that you don't even separate the two? Like talk a little bit about that. Like, how do you stay at the edge? And, and I'm asking on behalf of myself, but on behalf of everyone else who is an expert in something, it's not just where, where I'm at in my head. Mm -hmm. And I know I asked a question, now I'm explaining it further. Um, it, where I'm at in my head is, um, you know, I'm in this role because of my expertise, right. um, but practicing the role itself doesn't sustain my expertise the same way as practicing yeah. every day yeah. used to. That's what got me here, but how do I keep that edge? Yeah. Um, no, and that, it is kind of a personal question because it, it's something that's very top of mind for me because I've changed from practitioner to advocate, right? And it's a very different, you're, you're exposed to many different things in the advocacy role versus the the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts of helping agile teams improve their ways of working, where you're exposed to all these different kinds of problems, but you're actually helping uh, find the solution as well. You don't necessarily get that level of satisfaction with your customers, right? Like you, you, you talk about, you know, their problem space and you, you help them maybe find some solutions on their own, but you don't get to go out and implement it necessarily. Um, so for me, the, the, the way that you kind of keep your edge or the way that you kind of stay abreast of what's going on in, 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 in that area yeah. is, is twofold. So one, of course, um, all of these co customer conversations, I get exposed to like huge enterprises down to the, you know, smaller startups. I get to talk through this whole range of problems. So it's just a, the volume is greater of being just exposed to all these different problems and then being able to think through like, how, how could we solve this or how could we do this and make maybe some suggestions or recommendations and things along those lines. I may not even articulate them necessarily to the customer. I may articulate it to the customer success manager or something like that, but being able to sort of problem solve things um, in creative ways. Um, um, in environments that I would probably, I've never worked in and had, and, and 
will probably never work in, um, but still being able to participate in that problem solving to me is, is definitely one way. Um, I do a ton of professional development. Um, so many classes, um, you know, online webinars, go to conferences a lot. Um, just online trainings as well. Like I've recently, I went to, for Agile 2023, there was a, a really cool training session that I found online that I was super interested in about sort of this emerging trend in, in Agile. Um, and I went and it was a super small group and I got to learn a ton um, from, from that particular group. And it really just got me excited about that particular aspect of, you know, it's not Scrum, it's not Kanban, but it's something else and it's really cool. Um, and so getting exposure to the, some of those cool things like that, um, to me are really, um, really, really invigorating. And then, um, I do a lot of reading. Uh, I, I read more than is probably healthy for one human being. Um, I read a lot of blogs and, uh, you know, there's a lot of groups that I'm in on LinkedIn, for example, I'm always reading, sort of trying to keep my pulse on what people are saying, thinking, um, because it's, you know, anybody who's worked in agility recently knows how polarized it is right now. And I want to understand all of those perspectives and understand both sides of the argument. I'm pretty agnostic. I don't, um, I don't have strong opinions necessarily one way or the other. Um, but I, I want to be sensitive to and understand what those perspectives are um, and, and you know, be Switzerland in a lot of ways and be very neutral in my approach. So, um, so yeah, that I, those are probably the three big things, the, 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 the problem solving sort of at the customer level and internal level, the professional, the, the formal professional development, and then the reading, um, you know, read, 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 read. Really good. I appreciate that so much. And uh, you got you got me all motivated to, to to do more of all of those things in the moment. Um, before I let you go, Dave, first, thank you. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I love what you all are up to. And I and I love that you took the jump into this practice uh, that is different than your previous practice. Um, because because at some level you are your practice has changed. Um, you, you, we referred to it as advocacy, but um, it's pra it's a practice in and of itself. Um, and I appreciate you exploring that, uh, for yourself and for the benefit of the, the community and the company, uh, before I let you go, what's something fun, uh, that you, it doesn't have to be fun. What's something you evangelize in your own personal life? Ugh, something that I evangelize in my personal life. Um, <laughs> I'm a, uh, parent of a four-year-old. And I try to evangelize um, the art of patience and the art of allowing children to make their own mistakes, obviously with some guardrails and some boundaries. Um, I'm, I'm not a helicopter parent. I'm, I try to be like the opposite of the helicopter parent. And um, I, I just love watching kind of how that whole process unfold. You know, you, you've got this human being that you brought into the world and um, you're responsible for, and you want to make sure that they're a good human being, um, but you also want them to, to kind of grow and be their own person. So um, I'm a huge evangelist for that, um, that whole process of, of being the patient parent that isn't afraid of dirt and broken things and all of the the messiness that comes with that stage of of young kids. So I'm um, totally unrelated to agile, as a matter of fact. So 
that's that's my but i'm super passionate about it having kids is like the best job ever that's awesome i love it well done uh for folks who've enjoyed this they want to connect learn more about you dave or they want to learn more about miro or they want to learn more about agile and you're going to be their gateway uh where's some where's some places you would send folks to follow up uh, on this conversation yeah, I would just send them to my uh, to my LinkedIn profile. So that's really the only social media that I uh, that that I'm active on. So if you want to reach out, I'm happy to connect. Um, David Ross, um, and you can find me a common name. But if you connect me with Miro, I'm the only David Ross here. Very good. And wherever you are watching or listening to this, the link to uh, Dave's uh, LinkedIn profile again, David Ross. Um, will be immediately adjacent. It'll be somewhere right down below or nearby or whatever. I try to link stuff up that, that uh, we talk about as we go. Dave, again, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure and I appreciate you making time for it. No problem, Ethan. Thanks so much for uh, you know sitting down and having a, a fun chat with me. I love it. I love the job. Um, I love what you're doing and, and talking about the job. I think that um, you know demystifying uh, kind of what we do is a very worthy endeavor. So thank you for that. And thanks for the opportunity to share my story. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.